0: The first reading is Daniel 8, verses 1 to 14. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision, after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal, I looked up and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew towards the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east, towards the beautiful land. It grew until it had reached the host of the heavens, and threw some of the starry hosts down to earth and trampled on on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of the because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did and truth was thrown down to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, how long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled, the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people? He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. The second reading is Daniel 8, verses 15 to 27. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. When he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath, because the visions concern the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the king of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from this nation, from his nation, but will have, not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The visions of the evenings and the mornings that that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks so much, uh, Esther, for reading for us. Um, uh, It was beyond understanding, we're told, so we better pray and ask for God's help. So let's do that, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do pray to you and ask... Lord, give us uh, light, give us uh, eyes to see you better, to understand uh, ourselves better in the light of you, we pray. Amen. Um, so much uh, social media comment at the moment, so much news content, so much uh, of what I'm guessing you're, you're seeing online or reading about is, of course, of course, of course, of course, trying to answer the question, can we make sense of world events? Can we, uh, can we make sense of world events? Can we understand what is going on? Um, there's a really, really fascinating take on this question. comes in um, the, the, a new film by Tom Hanks, or that involves Tom Hanks, um, uh, called News of the World. So you kind of pick up the idea that they are trying to figure out what is going on. Um, it's the story of this man... Uh, Captain Kidd and a young girl called um, Johanna. Um, and it's set in the, the States, it's set in the 1890s, I think, and it's, uh, so it's after the um, Civil War and um, after a period of um, an epidemic they had there, cholera epidemic. And the events um, that unfold life for them is very harsh, it's very unpredictable. Um, lots of things kind of come at them, uh, murdered parents... Uh, disease, danger, death. There's a whole series of things that sort of happen to them. And there's a key moment in the film towards the end, which without giving away too many uh, spoilers and things, there is a character who, who says to Captain Kids, talking to him, uh, says these words, says uh, about the things that have happened to him, that's not judgment, that's not providence, it's just what we have to face and carry the rest of our days trying to make sense of the world and the things that are happening and coming at him uh, and coming at us. How do you make sense of that? It's, it's so, the reason it's so interesting and so timely, people have noted, given that it was after a period of political turmoil and uh, an epidemic, it has quite a lot of resonance for us today, the years that we've just been through and are going through. How do you make sense of the events of the world? What place does God have? in that or not have in that? I think it's a massively profound question whether you consider yourself a believer or not a believer. What place do you think God has in the events of the world and how do you make sense of it? Well we are into um, Daniel chapter 8, another of these strange chapters as we talked about and began to think about from last week. Um, the, the, The ram and the goat are um, uh, uh, quite kind of striking um, images of, uh, of what Daniel sees. Um, uh, a couple of pictures here. Not, obviously not quite as good as Pete's, um, uh, but uh, uh, the, the picture this. I want to start at the very end, if I can, and that verse 27. After seeing everything that he had seen and what we've just heard read, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding, because we're going to take a look at some of this as we go through. But you notice the emotional effect on Daniel, how it impacted him, how disoriented he was, how confused he was by what he had seen concerning the future. Can I use this analogy? Let me try and see if this helps um, understand what's happening with this dream. You know how sometimes you get a building site, um, a construction site? And I know uh, some of you may be watching are involved in, in that kind of work. And you know it gets boarded up often uh, whilst the work is going on. So you can't see what's going on. Here's a sort of old picture in which, uh, but what happens is uh, the, the, the builders may well then cut a little window into the hoarding. Uh, Perhaps a more modern one looks like this. And you you kind of look through the window at this construction site. And the problem is you can't see everything. So there might be, if they were very kind, there might be a couple of different windows. You can see certain parts of what's being constructed and built, but you can't see the whole thing. And the visions that we have here, and and this vision, um, is a bit like that. You can kind of, Daniel gets to see certain things but it's very difficult to make sense of the whole thing. It's not a neat, perfect jigsaw. So you kind of get chapter 7, and then you see the one bit, and then chapter 8, oh yes, and that slots in nicely there, and then chapter 9 and 10, or whatever it might be. More, you get an angle on something, and then you get a different window and a different angle, and you're thinking, well, does that match up, or does that overlap? Am I seeing the same thing, or is it a slightly different thing? And that experience is kind of what Daniel is going through here. And in fact, some of what we see in chapter 8 may well be similar beasts to what we saw in chapter 7, but they're completely different and described in different ways. And it's not a neat overlap. And that's part of the point, and part of what I guess uh, we have to handle in chapter 8, is this. Daniel is given this sense that God is still in control, even if we can't see everything. God is still in control, even if we can't see everything. There is a, there is a building site there, and you, if you could see it all, you'd be able to put it together, and that's what God sees. We can't see everything. We, we have these windows and these angles on what is coming. And we're going to look at this chapter through, these, through three of them, if I can. Three windows, where, when, and why. And hopefully we'll pick up some of the details and some of the questions you might have in your mind about what uh, is going on. The first of them is where. Where is this um, going to happen? It's something that God knows precisely where this is all going to take place. Um, and Daniel is piecing it together. The opening to the vision says this. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision. It says, in my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the, um, in the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. Now, you might think, well, where is this and what's this got to do with anything? Well, um, Daniel is, if I can put it this way, Daniel is far from home at this point. And you'll know that from uh, earlier on, I talked about the, the distance that Daniel had to travel. Um, When he was taken from Jerusalem uh, as a teenager, he traveled over sort of 800 miles or so to Babylon. So he got all that way. Where his vision takes place is another roughly 200 miles further east, Um, over in a place called Susa, um, uh, which in in, uh, modern-day Iran, Um, 200 miles is roughly the distance from Manchester to Berlin, I think. So he's that far again. Um, here's a picture of the ruins of um, uh, ancient uh, Susa, um, and uh, an artist has kind of given an impression of what the citadel might have looked like, um, and this is where Daniel's vision is kind of transporting him. Now, why would that matter? Why would that be important? things Can you imagine, we're, we're now another 200 miles that, that way, away from Jerusalem. Things are not moving in the right direction for God's people. It is not as though it's saying, don't worry, Daniel, you're kind of homeward bound now. We're going to to be returning soon. Actually, the vision is telling him things are slipping further away from God's people. And all Daniel can see at this point is this kind of transported again, even further from where his home was to this place called Susa. Now, Susa becomes important because of where um, our second window is which is when, when is all this happening? Now, on the one hand, in this chapter, we get, you get more detail than um, perhaps you do in some of the other chapters about times and dates. But on the other hand, it's really not that easy to make sense of. Um, and I'll try and do that as we, uh, as we piece it together. If you can pick up just verse 20, if you're having a look at a Bible, the two-horned ram, this is the ram and the goat, the two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between... it. Between its eyes is the first king. So we're told quite clearly a ram and a goat. Now I've tried to put this in a kind of table um, format. For those of you who helps, uh, this helps. This table, um, it comes with a little bit of a health warning um, because this can make it all seem very, very neat and tidy. And that's in, in one sense, that's exactly what this isn't. But there are some things that it's helpful just to walk through. The ram is what's called the empire of the Medes and the Persians. Now, the, the Persians were going to sweep in in just a few years after Daniel, and they were going to just take the whole region. It's going to become a grand empire. Verse 4 says, I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it. None could rescue from its power. There is aggression. There is power. There is an extraordinary kingdom that emerges um, under the Medes and the Persians. We, um, we have friends who live in that wider region uh, at the moment, and the people there still mark the emergence of the kingdom of the Medes. It's a, a significant part of their history, uh, this empire that's uh, emerged and grew. And um, so, it is, it, it, they lasted for a good 230 years or so. Then it's followed by the goat, and the goat, we're told comes to the ram. This is the, the, the Greek empire. Um, it charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. So here's another kingdom that arises, the Greek uh, empire. It might well be talking, one of those kings might well be talking about Alexander the Great, who in just a decade, managed to turn all of that Persian empire into the Greek empire. But the main point is that here is another more aggressive still power that is rising and taking control. And then there's one final figure, um, this completely wicked, fierce-looking king, verse 23, a master of intrigue. And it might be, might be, this chap called Antiochus IV, who we heard a little bit about last week, um, who led a brutal persecution um, of the Jewish people. And ravaged the temple. Now, I'm trying to sort of frame that for you so that you can see some details and see that what God knows will unfold has grounding in history. But what we're told it means here in verse 19 is this is the time of wrath the appointed time of the end. So Daniel is being told about this future period, an extended period of persecution, and it is hard for him to grasp how long that is. But you see, we're given a sense that God knows what empires will rise and fall. And to pick up on some of the things we were beginning to think about last week, if I can extend my table a little bit, it It has a fulfilment, if you like, in the period that comes immediately after Daniel. These empires are historical empires. They rose and fell. It has a resonance through some of church history where points over the centuries people have said, that is exactly what it feels like for us. And yet, it may also be yet to come. There may be something that lies ahead in the future of God's people, In which this will resonate even more strongly. So we can't put neat dates around everything, that's why I've I've given it a health warning. But God knows what is coming, who will rise and who will fall. And then finally, the third window, um, uh, if we can look through a little window on this construction site, is why. And why this is happening and why it's unfolding is because this is both an earthly and a spiritual conflict. So that last king, um, he was described as a horn. The language of horns would have been understood in the day as being a powerful figure, a a leader, a figure. Um, And this little horn grew until it reached the host of the heavens, verse 10. It threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. And that's... uh, talking quite probably about God's army of angels. There's a sort of spiritual warfare going on. Um, It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. Um, Now, if you know uh, or ever come across in the Old Testament, the commander of the army of the Lord was a leader, an an angelic being, a figure um, uh, who visited Joshua uh, before they um, uh, entered the Promised Land. And he is setting himself up as like that kind of figure, so this king is waging spiritual war, and what happens is, worship, believing worship, is stopped. Uh, they took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord. His sanctuary was thrown down because of rebellion. The Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. This is kind of uh, the, the the act of uh, being able to worship together has become much harder for believers and truth was thrown to the ground. Again, another strange phrase, and what he's talking about is the the Torah, the scriptures, are being thrown out. They're being cast aside. And all this is happening, this spiritual battle, and this king is becoming strong, but we're told in verse 24 and 25, not by his own power, or not by human power. So what looks confusing and difficult to make sense of, God's... Is still in control of. So those are three windows, if you like, that Daniel is—he's being given information, he's being given insight into what is coming, but it is hard to piece together, and he has this sense that behind the the hoarding is what God can see the, as the whole, and what he finds uh, tricky to place together. So those words, God is still in control, even if we can't see everything. God knows where and when and why things are happening. And when you step back from it for a moment, can you understand then why Daniel does, uh, says what he does at the very end? I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. That may be your response to this sermon this morning. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. And what he saw, what he was being told, doesn't take away from the emotion of it all. And I guess I want to suggest that we take a lead from those two responses that you see in Daniel, uh, from what he says here. Two responses, and the first is this. It is okay to feel broken by the events of the world. It's okay to feel broken by the events of the world. It's okay to both believe God is in control and to feel that things are completely out of whack or that they are very, very difficult to understand. I imagine lots of us are coming to terms with that at the moment. Actually, the experience of the past year has been one of coming to terms with the emotions we are trying to process about what has happened um, for us over this past year. If you're somebody at school or at college um, at the moment, um, listening or watching, you may well be somebody in the position of saying, I'm realizing that I'm never going to take my GCSEs. I'm never going to do my A-levels. That's going to be my experience. You may be a student uh, who's watching us thinking, this is my time at university that is passing. That so called glorious time that I was meant to have. This is what it is. Some of us may be reflecting on time lost with relatives or parents. You know, for myself, this week I passed a year since I last saw my parents. Now they are probably watching, so I should you know, just acknowledge that and say hello. I passed a year since I last saw them. It is okay to feel broken by the events of the world. There may be other things that you are processing, I don't know fully why, but for some reason churches in particular often have a reputation for places as being places where you can't be broken. I don't know why that is fully. Somehow you get the reputation that you're meant to have it all together. I wonder if you can see, actually, it should be the opposite. Churches should be a place where you can feel the brokenness of the world and yet cling to a trust in God. It's okay to feel broken by the events of the world. You can hold that and a belief that God is in control. Daniel's a really good example, isn't he? I wonder, um, we've talked a little bit about Daniel's age at various points. Um, At this point here, he's about 69. That might be the age you are or similar. I wonder if you, I I, I was thinking this week, I wonder if it hit Daniel at this point, as he heard about these kingdoms and what was going to happen, that he was 69 years old. I wonder if he ever thought, do you know, I am not ever going to make it home. I'm not ever going to make it home. So it's okay to feel broken by the events of the world. And then secondly, that doesn't stop us committing to the journey with God. It doesn't stop us committing to the journey with God. There's a little line in there that Daniel says, I got up and I went about the king's business. That was his job. I got up and I went about the king's business. One of the great dangers of this time for us, I'm sure, um, is that we will try and wait it out. I don't know if you've had this thought. When the pandemic is over, then I'll do this or I'll do that. When the pandemic is over, I'll be able to kind of get on with my life. Why is that a danger? I think because underneath, I don't know if you find this in yourself, I certainly find this in myself, it breeds a kind of isolationism. So I will withdraw into myself. I won't move towards that person because I'm in a kind of defensive mode. Well, the pandemic, so I I won't commit to engaging with fellow Christians or with neighbors because I'm kind of hunkered down. Perhaps even, you know, I, I, I couldn't possibly think about things like a church revitalization at the moment till all of this is over. Now, I could totally understand that thought. But it's interesting, isn't it? When we begin to, to admit, acknowledge that we don't see everything, but God does, we're actually making moves towards more self-awareness, and we're making moves towards what God might be doing among us through this time of difficulty. I've said on a couple of occasions over the past year, I think a key question for us as a church family at the moment and as believers is, what is God stirring in us by his Spirit through this pandemic? As we realize there are things he knows and that we don't, what is he stirring in us? Daniel is really striking. He goes on serving where God has placed him and he goes on serving the God who has placed him there despite everything. And it doesn't mean he suddenly felt all right about everything and was sort of sailing through life. Actually, he was exhausted and worn out and feeling and weighed down by the brokenness of this world. But that is part of Christian maturity as believers, that we hold those things in tension. That understanding of the world as it is and clinging to a God who does know and has everything in his hands. And that is where our next song is going to take us. Uh, uh, words that were written uh, not too long ago but actually have quite a fitting resonance for the situation we're in and what we've been thinking about in Daniel. So let's, uh, let's listen, sing uh, and uh, reflect with these words.